How sweet is that? From the lips of children, I'll let you in on a secret. Those children are Andrew Danglinger's children made a year ago with thanksgiving. May the Lord, uh, dear Lord, may the words of my mouth, meditation of each heart across this world, sitting in sanctuaries large and small, may words spoken be blessed by you. And may the meditation of each heart, just for that hour, may it be centered and focused on the most important item in our life, and that is our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, to whom we give thanks and praise. In our Lord's name, amen. I said to you last week as we spoke about heaven, combining All Saints Sunday and Veterans Day, I said to you last week that in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 10% of the verses in the Gospel speak about life after this life. 3% of the verses speak about hell. And the other 87% of the verses in the Gospels, they speak about how we are to live on this earth before heaven or hell ever come, how we are to live on this earth. It begins with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the merciful, blessed are those who grieve over their sins, blessed are those who seek after righteousness, blessed are the peacemakers. It begins with that as the way we are to live on this earth on the Sunday of Fulfillment before we leave this place and go to God. It begins with the Sermon on the Mount, it ends with one of the most powerful chapters in the Bible, Matthew chapter 25. The entirety of that chapter is about preparation for the coming of our Lord. It starts with the ten virgins that Pastor Shower read. It starts with them. Five prepared, five not prepared at all. Clueless. It proceeds. The next parable is the parable of the talents. We read it last week, I believe. Parable of the talents. Guy with five talents, two talents, one talents. I'll touch on that in a few moments. And it ends with the parable of the sheep and the goats. Jesus calling people to heaven. And they're saying, why should we go to heaven? They're so humble. They say, why should we go to heaven? And he said, while you're on this earth, as you are waiting for the Sunday of the fulfillment, when you saw someone hungry for food, companionship, or for God, you fed them. When you saw someone thirsty for drink, or for companionship, or for God, you gave them a drink. When you saw them naked because they didn't have God, when you saw them in any sort of prison, you went to them, you were there for them, you touched their lives, not for your glory, but for mine. Sunday of Fulfillment, we're going to look at the 87% of those verses in the gospel that tell us how to live while we're waiting for him. I'm going to take you to Luke 18 and 19. There are three people that I want to introduce you to. Each of them had a different concept as to how they were going to get ready for the kingdom. The first person in our study is a rich young lawyer, a rich young ruler. And he comes to Jesus with a stewardship of life question. It's a vague question. He says to Jesus, what must I do to have life eternal? 
What must I do? What must I do to have an abundant life on this earth that leads me to life eternal? And when he says to Jesus, what must I do? He is indicating to Jesus that there is a hunger in him. It's not for food, because he's so wealthy, he can have food for any, from anywhere in the world. It's not for drink, because he could have wine from anywhere in the world. He is hungry and he's thirsty, but there's a part of him that has the hunger and thirst, and it's not the belly. The hunger and thirst is in the soul. I don't even know if he knows that. I don't even know if he knows that his soul is hungry and thirsty. He just comes to Jesus and he probably parades around in his robe and points to his chariot and he says, Jesus, I got all this stuff, but there's a void in me that none of this stuff can fill. When I was 15 years of age, I set a goal that by the time I was 30, I'd have the biggest house, I'd have the biggest chariot, I'd have all this wealth and all this power. And I came to age 30 and I had everything that I had on my wish list and it has not filled the ache in my soul. What can I do? Teacher, don't call him Jesus, doesn't call him, he calls him teacher. Doesn't call him son of David, calls him teacher. Doesn't call him, just calls him Jesus, teacher. What must I do? There are parameters he sets up with his question. He says, what must I do? There are certain areas that when you come to Thanksgiving, don't discuss them, all right? I'm going to, you're going to say thank you, and I'm going to say you're welcome. You're not going to discuss religion, and you're not going to discuss politics. I know you're not a Baptist, but say amen anyway, okay? You're not going to discuss those things. When this rich young lawyer comes to Jesus, he says, here's your parameters. I'm asking you, what must I do? You cannot talk about God. You cannot talk about yourself as a son of God. And you cannot talk about anything in the spiritual realm. I want the focus to be on me, not on God, not on the spiritual realm, not on you. What must I do to have everlasting life? It was many, many years ago, I'm guessing 15 to 20 years ago, she called me, she said, would you marry me? I said, sure, come into my office. Let's talk. She came into my office, and uh, we talked about how wedding uh, proceeds. I talked about her and her fiancé, how long you'd been together, covered all the bases. And then she said to me, Pastor, when you speak at our wedding, I don't want you to mention God. She said, we're not believers, we're not, you know, we don't, we're not into that spiritual stuff. So you cannot talk about God. And I said to the dear lady, I said, sorry, because that's all I do talk about. I talk about how God brought you together, and I talk about how God knows your past, and he knows your future. I talk about God all the time. I'm sorry, but I cannot help but talk about God. Well, she just got up and she walked on out. She didn't slam the door. She just walked on out. She gave me parameters. The rich young lawyer gave Jesus parameters. Can't talk about God. Can't talk about yourself as a son of God. And you cannot talk about things in the spiritual realm. What must I do? 
And so Jesus went point blank at it. Now in John 17, 3, it says, This is eternal life, that you might know him, the Lord Jesus Christ. That is eternal life. But he heard the parameters from the man, so he said to him, Let's cut to the chase. You must sell everything you have. Because everything you have is your idol. And the reason you don't want anything in the spiritual realm, everything in your life is fixed on what your eyes can see. That's your idol. And you have to replace your idol with God himself. And the Bible says a rich young lawyer walked away sadly. And the Bible says Jesus looked at him and he loved him. And then he turned to his disciples and in a sad voice he said to them, It is easier for a camel to go to the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom. And the disciples are sitting there shaking their head and they say, Who then can be saved? And Jesus said, With men it is not possible, but with God all things are possible. And when we get to Zacchaeus in about 12 minutes, you'll see that all things are possible. Second individual is in the same chapter. He's in Luke 18. He doesn't have a name. He's called a blind beggar. He cannot see, but when he hears that Jesus is passing by, he says to him, Jesus, I want you. Jesus, I need you. There are no parameters here. The parameter is, I'm not going to talk about myself. The parameter is, all I'm going to do is to talk about you. Because I have nothing to bring to the table. I want you. I need you. I have a desire for a connection with you. I want my heart to come to you. And I want your heart to come to me. If anything is to be different in the abject loneliness and alienation from humanity that my blindness brings, if there is to be any difference in my circumstance, I need you. You see the difference. Rich young lawyer doesn't say a word about, I need God, I need Jesus. He doesn't say a word about, I must have a power beyond myself if I am to feed and give drink to my soul. He says, I don't need you. The blind man, on the other hand, says, have mercy on me, Jesus, calls him son of David. Have mercy on me, Jesus, son of David, a messianic title he gives to Jesus. Have mercy on me. I can do nothing to change the stewardship of my life unless I have you. And if I have you, even in the midst of my physical blindness, if I have you, then I can do everything. I'm hungry, would you feed me? I'm hungry for food, that's why I got this bowl out here asking people to throw a piece of bread in it. But I'm hungry for companionship. If you were a leper, you were the loneliest person on this earth. If you were blind, you were the second loneliest. Because if you were blind, people thought you had something contagious and they didn't want to get close to you. 
And if you were blind, they thought that you had committed some sin and this was God's judgment and they didn't want the lightning to hit them by being too close to you. And if you weren't the one singing, they figured your parents were sinning. If you were blind, you were isolated, not just by the physicality of the illness. You were alienated because you had a stamp placed upon you. You weren't leper, but you were blind. I'm hungry for affection. I'm hungry for food. I'm thirsty. But if I have you, I'll have everything I need. My prison is fear. My prison is shame. My prison is guilt. My prison is anger. Anger at God. Anger at other people. I need you. Have mercy on me. And Jesus said to him, What can I do for you? Now I have to understand that this blind man, a hundred times a day, he said, Have mercy on me. To every person that passed by, he would say, Have mercy on me. Can you put a little bit of bread in my bowl? Do you have an extra coin? Do you have an old blanket you're not using? But when it comes to Jesus, there's a difference because he calls him by name. Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus is going to look at this man's faith. And he's going to stretch it. He's going to stretch that faith. He says to him, what can I do for you? Was the man tempted to say, do you have a big loaf of bread Was a man tempted to say, can you get me a really, really nice warm robe? Was a man tempted to say that? His faith was so astonishing that he asked for that which I don't think initially he was going to ask for. He said, can you heal me? Can you heal my blindness? It's not all that astonishing, people. Thief on the cross, one moment he's cursing Jesus, the next moment he's saying, I believe in you, remember me when you come into your kingdom. It happened that quickly. That's how the Spirit can work. The Apostle Paul, when he's knocked off his horse, donkey, camel, whatever he was riding, when he's knocked off the animal on the road to Damascus, it's in a long process. It's not like Jesus saying, hey, you know, go take some studies with a rabbi and come back in a month and we'll see where you're at spiritually. It was instantaneous, the transformation. And so it was for this blind beggar, thinking that maybe he's going to get a morsel of bread from the son of David. But when Jesus asked him, when he asked him, what do you want? He heads to the top of the ladder, can you restore my sight? 87% of the verses in the gospel are how we're to live on this earth. We need a power beyond ourselves. We can't do this on our own. We never even see what we're like. If I ask you what you're like, you wouldn't have a clue. If I ask someone else what you're like, then I've got a clue as to what you... We don't see ourselves. If we're narcissistic, we don't see it. 
If we're greedy for control and power, we don't see it. If we got low self-esteem, we don't see it. You need a power beyond yourself, Romans 12, 2. Don't be conformed to the world. Don't be conformed to what you've always been. Be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Who does the operation? The Holy Spirit of God. The Bible talks about power all the time, but not the sort of power and control we talk about. The Bible doesn't talk about political power or military power. It talks about a power that God himself brings. John 10.10, Jesus said, I have come that you might have life with great abundance. 1 Corinthians 4.20, kingdom of God is not a matter of talk. It is a matter of power. And the huge one, Matthew 17.20, if you have faith as small as a grain of mustard seed, you have the power to say to the mountain, move, and it'll move. What mountain? Your choice. Different for each of us. You say to the mountain of arrogance, move. You say to the mountain of narcissism, move. You say to the mountain of low self-esteem, move. You say to the mountain of critical nature, judgmental nature, stop it. Move. Say to the mountain of addiction, to the mountain of grief, to the mountain of shame, You say to the mountains, move, and if you have this power from God, the mountain moves. It was about six weeks ago, Pastor Shaw was preaching. He was talking about the dynamis of God. The Apostle Paul speaking about the dynamis, the energy of God. And that is the only thing that can transform who we are and how we live in this interim time between our birth and our exit. Which one of the ten virgins are you? Which one of the ten virgins are you? The rich young lawyer would have been in the list of five virgins who had no clue that they were to be ready for the bridegroom. The blind beggar would have been one of the five virgins who said, I'm ready, Lord, I'm ready, Lord, I'm ready, Lord. I believe in you, I trust in you. I have you and I need you. Remember last week, the reading of the uh, New Testament lesson or gospel, gospel reading. The uh, master goes on a journey. He gives one servant five talents. And that man loved the master so much, he realized every day, not just on Thanksgiving Day, he realized that every single day, everything he had, fields, cattle, and all my goods, he realized everything he had came from the master. And when the master said, I'm going away, I'm going to leave you five more talents, he could hardly wait to go to work for the master. He could hardly wait to do a harvest. He could hardly wait to tell other people about the kindness and goodness of the master. Why don't you come join my farm because my master is so incredible? Why don't you come and join my sheep pen because my master is so incredible? And when the master came back, he said, here's a hundred people that are now part of your sheep pen. And the master said, well done, a good and faithful servant. The same with the man with two talents. But we come to the one talent man. 
The rich young lawyer is the one talent man. The one talent man says to Jesus the most disrespectful comment in the Bible. He says, Master, I knew you were a hard man. I knew you were a liar and a deceiver and a cheat and a fraud. Because you sow where you don't own the property and you harvest what you didn't plant. What he's saying to God is this. You take all the credit. I'm sick and tired of people lifting up their hands and saying, everything I have comes from God. I'm sick and tired of it. You get these praise from people and you don't tell them what a fraud and a phony you are. Because the fields I have and the barns I have and the servants I have, they've come from my hard work. My intellect, my connections. I do believe the one talent man was the richest of the three. He had all the things your eyes could lust for. And you know how Jesus handled that man. If you thought I was that way, you should have done something different. At least put it in the bank, give me some interest. And then you know the man was thrown away. Thief on the cross wasted his entire life, but at the very end he said, I need you, Jesus, I believe in you. Remember me when you come into your kingdom. This man didn't do that. The blind beggar was the man with five talents. Jesus, son of David, I need you. And once he had him, you better believe for the rest of his life, he walked around saying to people, here's what Jesus has done for me. Let me get to the third and last one, Zacchaeus, very briefly. I told you that the disciples asked Jesus, if it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter the kingdom, who of us can be saved? And Jesus said, with men it's not possible, with God it's possible. He gave proof the very next day. Because the very next day he bumps into Zacchaeus. Zacchaeus is even richer than the rich young lawyer because he's the chief tax collector. It's the only time the term is used in the Bible. He is the chief tax collector. He's the big shot. He's in charge of districts and provinces and all the tax collectors bring the money to him and he's got his hands on it and he gives a portion to Rome. Chief tax collector. He's sitting up there in the sycamore tree. Jesus knows who he is. He knows hunger and thirst in his soul. He says, Zacchaeus, come on down. Because Zacchaeus hasn't set any parameters. And Jesus knows it. He says, come on down, I want to eat with you today. And they go to his mansion, to his house, and they eat. I don't know if it was 15 minutes or a half hour. I don't know. All I know is Zacchaeus kicked himself out of that chair, walked outside, got his microphone, and said, half of what I have I shall give to the poor. And if I cheated anyone out of anything... I'll pay it back four times. It's the Sunday of the fulfillment. Is Christ the King Sunday? It's 87% of the verses of the gospel. How will you and I live while we're waiting for him to come? There is a parameter. It cannot be about you. Either end of the spectrum. Low self-esteem or an arrogance that it's hard to be in the same room with that individual. The parameter is it cannot 
be about you. It has to be about him. And when you have these arrogant priests in Acts chapter 6 listening to Peter's sermon and they come to the faith and when you have Zacchaeus in the same boat as a rich young lawyer and Zacchaeus comes to the faith and when you have the blind beggar saying to Jesus, restore my sight, I believe you have the power to do so. What did Jesus say to him? He said, your faith in the power of God, your faith has made you whole. It's the Sunday of Thanksgiving. It's the Sunday of the fulfillment. They are together, as I said at the beginning, like a hand in a glove. If you understand it's all about the Lord and Savior, nothing about you, then your life is endless thanksgiving to God. And the pastor says, Amen. And the people say, Amen. Which means, may it be so in my life. Jesus, I need you. In our Savior's name, Amen. Would you stand for a moment as we pray? Heavenly Father, God's power is not meant to glorify himself. If we have power on this earth, it quickly goes to our head. And that power is all about us. God's power is never meant for himself. God's power was meant for the children that he loves. He sends his son Jesus to die on that cross for the children that he loves. He sends the Holy Spirit to change our vile natures that they might be like unto his glorious, righteous nature. Sunday of Thanksgiving, we give thanks and praise to you, God, for things that are seen, but far more deeply for the things that cannot be seen, the faith we have brought to us by the Holy Spirit the faith and the power, the love, and the goodness of God in whose hands we rest. In our Savior's name, amen. Cable news, noisy, boring, out of touch. That's why Salem News Channel is different. We keep you in the know. Streaming 24-7 for free. Home to the greatest collection of conservative voices like Dennis Prager, Jay Sekulow, Mike Gallagher, and more. Salem News Channel is unfiltered and unapologetic. Watch anytime on any screen at snc.tv and local now channel 525.